Hello, and welcome to the Marketing Experiments Web Clinic Audio Replay Podcast. Marketing Experiments is an internet marketing research laboratory. The web clinic you are about to hear was broadcast live to an international audience of marketing professionals. Sign up to be invited to future web clinics, as well as gain access to all of our online marketing research at marketingexperiments.com. Good to be with everyone again today. I hope you didn't have difficulty logging in. In the last event, I think we had 2,500 people trying to get 1,000 seats. And uh, today, it looks as though uh, we have something similar happening. And again, um, we're going to try to take this time and pack it with as much valuable information as possible. I'm, I'm interested in this particularly. I'm also a little intimidated by it because I'm going to take you into some new content that's difficult to convey in a 60-minute session. It's, uh, it's significant because it does not matter how well you market if you don't have a proper value proposition. Abraham Lincoln said, if I have eight hours to chop down a tree, I'd spend seven sharpening my axe. Getting the value proposition right means that marketers can get much more done with way less toil, way less swinging of the axe. In many cases, we're not clear on our value proposition. Most of us, when I ask, what is your value proposition, are unable to give an answer. Most of the time, I would say 90% of the time, I'm given a business model. I'm given a business description. I'm given a slogan. I'm given a, a you know, the brand identity. Rarely am I given a value proposition. And so let me ask you this question right now. It's not in my notes. We're not supposed to do it yet, but I'm going to do it anyway. I want you to ask yourself, in 10 words or less, what is the value proposition of the organization that you work for? More importantly, if you're working on a particular campaign or a particular product, ask yourself, what is the value proposition of that particular product? And while I'm speaking, uh, in the next few moments, please try to cooperate with me and articulate that, even if it's imperfect, because it's going to help you think through some shocking findings from our own experimentation. We want to talk about what a value proposition is, though that's taught at length in our certification courses. We're going to take content now that is not taught in our certification courses. We're going to take content now that we've never released before in public, but only used behind the scenes in our work with uh, some of our key research partners as we have tried to intensify our understanding of the methodology involved in developing a value proposition. The title of today's clinic is How Do You Have or Do You Have the Right Value Proposition? And here is a way to properly test, measure, and integrate this value prop into your marketing efforts. I'll be speaking, but I'm joined by some of the key analysts uh, many of you are familiar with uh, Adam Lapp, Senior Optimization Manager, uh, a very gifted optimization expert who can help us today as we talk about some of the case studies he's worked on. We're also joined by Dustin, and so we're glad to have Dustin with us. Let's go to the first experiment. This is uh, ID. Uh, it's a protected ID, but it's Test Protocol 3021 and uh, Test Protocol 1351. This is a major financial institution, one of the largest in the world. They offer banking service for small business. Bear in mind that banking is a regulated industry, and so most of the products are uh, 
similar, if not identical, which makes it especially challenging to identify the marketing message and the value proposition that supports it. We were not certain as to which statement of value would generate the most user response. In the past, such decisions were decided by uh, alchemy uh, in uh, meetings with agencies, but we proposed applying some rigorous science to the development of the value proposition. And in doing so, we identified a series of key factors. And I'd like you to see these. And we're talking about uh, a small business looking for banking service. Ask yourself, if I was a small business looking for banking service, which one of these elements would motivate me the most to select this particular FI, this financial institution? Is it low price? Is it possible savings? Is it great customer support? Is it simplicity, reduced work, or product design and features? Understanding that via a testing format at the beginning of the product development cycle enables this financial institution to roll out the most effective marketing campaign. It changes everything. It means you can accomplish far more with less marketing dollars because the response rate is, is um, significantly higher if you select the correct element. Now, bear this in mind, neither one of these five elements in themselves form a value proposition, but they form the kernel of a value proposition. If you're still not sure what a value proposition is precisely by the definition of the lab, stay tuned because we're going to teach that before it's over. And we're also going to do some live optimization looking at other people's value propositions as they're reflected on their web pages. I want to get the poll results in front of you. You should be able to see them. Of those five elements, 14% so far have said low price, 26% have said great customer support, 40% have said simplicity and reduced work, 6% have said product design and features, and now we're going to lock it down because we've reached a large enough segment of the audience to give you a valid sampling. And you should be able to see the poll results on your screen. Now, this is how the audience voted, which is interesting. Now, would you like to see what the test revealed? Because that's where we're going next. And to do that, I want to go to the background and design of the experiment and turn it over to Adam Lapp. Uh, Adam is, uh, is really uh, been uh, one of our great hires and one of the early researchers in our lab. And he's grown exponentially in his understanding. And he oversaw this series of testing. Adam, tell us a bit about it, will you? Sure. Well, the good thing was that this particular company had done their homework. They gave us a very detailed research brief with uh, qualitative surveys, with quantitative data, uh, with uh, a lot of different values to pick and choose from. Uh, but therein laid the problem was uh, they didn't really know what the identity of their true value proposition was. It, it was sort of like a an octopus with you know eight different tentacles with eight different possible values, and we really did not understand um, you know which one would resonate the most with with the audience. Uh, so although they had had done their homework, they had not applied the rigorous uh, science of testing uh, to 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 solve this problem. And so from those you know five or six buckets of core values you you saw on the previous screen, we 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 developed those out. Uh, then we developed one or two 
PPC ads for each one, you know, testing different components of those ads. Um, and uh, one of the good things about a PPC test to experiment with value proposition is that uh, you can accomplish a lot and get a lot of results in a quick period of time. You know, measuring impressions with clicks, you're able to, you know, quickly see on a granular, on a daily level, you know, what kind of values appeal to, to your particular audience. Uh, so here are the, uh, you know, seven key PPC ads that we ran. You'll see that some focus on price, some focus on uh, an account designed to meet the needs of small businesses, growth, ease, support, savings, simplicity. So they're all good values, uh, but the problem was if we, were, if we need to communicate the core essential value of this product within a uh, sentence of 10 words, you know, something that fits on a billboard, something that fits within a slogan, which one of these do we choose? And so and that's what the, the testing process was all about. All right, so it's important to note that we looked at this in the channel and we looked at it on uh, the landing page. Here are two of the pages side by side. Adam, do you want to comment on those pages? Sure. So, you know, a lot of times a, a company will not have enough traffic to test eight different landing pages with eight different core values. And so that was another uh, important thing that we have to point out with the PPC test that allowed us to uh, take a broad range of values and then narrow that down so then we could effectively test uh, one or two values on a particular landing page. And the two landing pages you see here, the other key thing to note is we are testing the variable of value, the variable of messaging. And so uh, none of, nothing on the page differs in terms of images, in terms of design, in terms of colors or layout. The only thing that differs is the values that we're communicating. And so when we get the results, we can isolate that variable and really determine which value was more important without any kind of you know, other things uh, getting in the way of our interpretation. All right, excellent. Now, we're going to come back to this later, but let's get right away to the value proposition that drove the greatest results in our testing cells. Let's look essentially at uh, it in statement form, and here you see the name of the business, and the essential account simplifies small business banking by providing all the tools and resources you need for success. This focus, now this in itself is not a full value proposition, but this messaging was the key kernel of the value proposition that drove the highest potential yield based on our experimental design. And then we supported the value proposition with what we call essential proof points, a very important concept that you're going to come back to later you need to have three elements to make your value proposition work. We'll talk about those later also. And one of those is credibility. And these proof points underscore the message of the value proposition and give you credibility. So out of all those different options, this particular option was most effective. And from there you see key proof points that will be emphasized in all the various iterations of copy. Knowing that brings me to a question. How do you, in your own situation, discover the best possible value proposition, the best possible messaging that you need to highlight in all of your subsequent marketing materials? 
That's what the entire session is about today. We're going to move through a step-by-step process. We're going to show you some specific examples, and then we're going to look at live optimization. Before I do that, I've been asked by our editorial team to ask some of you to participate in a um, conference that's coming up in optimization. I bring it up because we're looking for speakers, and we've just put out a call for speakers to the first optimization summit that we've held here in the labs. You know we have the B2B summit in San Francisco and Boston we, through Marketing Sherpa. We have the email summit. Uh, it was in Miami. Now it's in Las Vegas and another one in Germany and, you know, other summits throughout the year. But we're now launching a summit focused specifically on optimization. And we don't, we don't run it like you might see in the ordinary summit. It's not vendors or consultants that speak but it's actual marketers working in the trenches with real case studies that talk to us about their own experiences. And we're inviting some of you on this call right now to submit an application to become one of the speakers so that we can evaluate the content, talk with you, and see if there's a way that something you learned this year could be helpful and impact our own audience with useful information. And, uh, and so feel free to... to um, to, to submit that, I think the details on the slide will help you understand. And if you're interested in the summit itself, uh, now is a great time to get uh, basically the advantage of the uh, early bird and some of the other things that we do to make this uh, work for everyone. So let's keep moving. First principle, the value proposition is not something that you determine. It's something that you discover. So... It must be tested. You can't sit in a room and say, this is our value proposition. Because it emerges from factors outside of your control, and it is, it is generated in response to competitive options. That is, other places where your potential customers, your prospects can go to solve the same problem, to meet the same need. So, you can't simply say, this is what we're going to do. You must actually discover it. And it emerges from characteristics within your organization, within your history. And then those characteristics must be amplified. And so testing allows you to get that done. So in the first part of this summit or this clinic, rather, we want to talk about how to test. And to do that, we need to help you understand perhaps the most important aspect of the whole process. That's identifying a proper definition for the value prop. Your value proposition is focused around a single question. If I am the ideal customer, why should I purchase from you rather than any of your competitors? Now, that definition you see on the screen has been translated into a question because it needs to be a first-person experience and you cannot be a great marketer if you study marketing, web pages, landing pages, or email. You can only be an effective, even a great marketer, if you study the thought sequence of those people who are interacting with your landing pages, email, direct mail, etc. Optimization does not occur on the website. It occurs in the mind. And the value of turning that question into the first person is that it drives you into the thinking process of the customer interacting with your offer. 
So the key is to think differently, to think outside of your world and inside of theirs. Fifty years ago, Peter Drucker shocked the world because he said business exists to produce a result outside of itself. It was shocking because so many businesses were self-focused and not understanding how important it was for them to think outside of their own web of self-interest and into the external world and project their results and, and to draw their metrics from what they created outside of their internal community. Marketers face the same problem today because human nature is the same now as it was 50 years ago, as it was 500 years ago. We tend to think about our own interest first. You cannot be a great marketer until you can think through the interests of the other person first. And so it's important that every single one of you who submitted this question uh, earlier, what is uh, my value proposition, and perhaps tried to articulate in a few words, ten or less, what it is, that you look at your answer and you ask yourself this question, does my answer form a satisfactory answer to the bigger question, if I am the ideal customer, why should I purchase from you rather than any of your competitors? That's the key. That's the driver. That's what makes all of this work. So, it, it, it is discovered. It grows out of need. And uh, as, as the slide indicates here, you've got to avoid a sales-driven approach to product development. You have to understand it through the mind of the market. And you need to refine it. It may start out as a, as a series of statements on paper, but it must be refined until you can articulate it in a single, instantly credible sentence. And then you've got to test it. So bearing that in mind as important principles governing the actionable part of this uh, clinic, let me take you to a five-step process. But before I do, I'm going to invite you to use the Q&A feature in your current, um, uh, you know, GoToMeeting um, interface or use Twitter. Again, it's, it's uh, a simple, it's called hashtag web clinic. Use that in Twitter in order to communicate to us or to each other. But we want to hear if the pace of this is right for you. Are you, are you, uh, are you starting to learn things that are useful and interesting? Give us feedback so we can adjust in real time and optimize our own presentation. We have a whole team monitoring your comments. Now, let's look at those five steps. We break it down into a process. We've observed this process through patterning our own efforts. We've tested over 10,000 landing page paths. And every time you test a path, you're testing the expression of a value proposition. The first letter of significance in the external control of the conversion heuristic is the letter V, the clarity of the value proposition. When you see that familiar C equals you know, 4M plus 3V uh, in our formulas, for those of you that are familiar with it. And that's because it's so essential. So, how do you develop one? Well, first of all, you've got to review data. Then you need to compose multiple drafts. Then you need to measure the force. I can't, uh, I'm eager to teach point three. But because I have very limited time, I have to invest every word and every sentence to say something that's rich in meaning or we will not be able to communicate the whole package. Step four is conduct the test. Step five is analyze the results and, of course, make the appropriate adjustments. With that in mind, let's begin with the, the first step.
reviewing the data. Typically, that means looking at current metrics, previous campaigns, and also doing something here we call a summary competitive analysis. One of the most useful exercises we engage in at the beginning of any research project where we're developing a value proposition or even optimizing a home page or a landing page is to do a summary competitive analysis. You can go to our uh, the Marketing Experiments website. There's probably now $15 million worth of research there. You can access it at no charge. And in that research, type the search term in conversion sequence or conversion index, and you'll get all kinds of teaching that will come up and it'll show you this important heuristic that helps you analyze a web page. You need that, but not just for your web page, but to analyze the web page of your competitors and look at them side by side and understand how you stack up against them. Those three key categories of datum help you uh, really um, get the background information necessary to developing a proper value proposition. So. You know, there's an example of a summary competitive analysis from one of our files, and it details on a step-by-step -step comparison the competitors. We often, if you know, if 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 you engage with our group to conduct research on your behalf or to do uh, services to help provide you with more effective conversion rates, one of the first things we do is a document like this. the The second thing I would say is step two: you start to compose drafts. Now, that's a very important process. And this is where you can get democratic. You have to start out democratic, and then you have to get autocratic. If you stay democratic, you're not going to have a value proposition. You're going to have a hodgepodge of opinions melded together in a compromise that produces a mitigated or a compromised yield. What I mean by that is you can't decide this by a vote. You have to decide this by uh, the data. And the data comes from the testing. But where the vote does work is that you're entitled. I'm sitting across from a room of people in the studio. Any one of these could submit their idea of the value proposition that could be roughly categorized. If we saw an overlap, we could combine two and come away with five core statements that could be tested. Five answers to the single question. If I am the ideal competitor, I'm sorry, the ideal customer, why should I purchase from you rather than any of your competitors? To do that, we go back to the initial experiment, and you can see that we had five kernels. Not the value props themselves, but these are the key elements that could be articulated in a value prop. And they set us up with options. And in the next slide, you can see how other elements compete. This is a very interesting chart built by uh, Austin in our editorial group. And uh, it... Uh, it says differing visitors will have different levels of appeal for the value categories. So in a sense, you're looking on the left side at your channel and you're looking on the right side, or I'm sorry, on the top at the various core words of the value proposition. And what you're noticing is that in different channels, the interest or the element is more intense. This chart helps us understand the nexus between the channel and the message. And that helps us get the value proposition that produces the highest return. Remember this, specificity converts. The higher the specificity, the higher the conversion rate. Let's look at the next step. Step three is to measure the force. I told you I wanted to talk about this step. This is all original research from our lab. This process was developed in our lab. But these three components were groundbreaking. 
They were groundbreaking to us. They can actually help us predict a business's potential growth cycle and its sustainability. They can be used in a financial analysis at a Warren Buffett level. In fact, I've been experimenting with a way to try... I haven't shared this with some of the team, but I've been experimenting with to triangulate balance sheets and five-year performances on P&Ls with the next three elements I'm going to show you. Warren doesn't know these three factors, but Warren can see their outcome in the financials and detect what he calls sustainable advantage. And that's guided many of his investments. And if you study his methodology, he can see it. That's why he doesn't invest in startups. He wants enough track record to see the value prop borne out over time. We can see it on the front side by understanding and measuring the potential force of a value proposition. I have, in, uh, in the years of research, never seen uh, a lab or a group begin to try to identify the core value prop and measure its force. So today, capture this, use it. It may be a way for you to gain significant advantage. Again, I can only touch it lightly. Here is the key principle. The force of a value proposition can be measured by three essential elements. Its appeal, its exclusivity. Let's just stop for a moment and think about that. I can see this plotted on, a, on an XY axis in a chart. I'll describe that in just a moment, but think about how the two come together. In fact, some of you were in a clinic, I don't know, three weeks ago, I mean, sorry, three sessions ago, not where, in fact, we taught about, we taught some thing, important things about value proposition, but we had a, a, a very important conversation about Austin, um, Austin's hair, and uh, unfortunately my hair. And uh, we had some of the most unusual tweets we've ever received. We did not pick on Dustin. We did not pick on Adam that I can remember. And I really wasn't picking on Austin. I was just, I was expressing my envy. Austin has hair on his head and hair on his chin. He has sideburns that connect with the hair on his chin. He looks like a Quaker, but he has wonderful hair. <laughs> and, and, and I think someone, someone tweeted, uh, 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 many of you are familiar with Daniel. Daniel, what was the tweet about that we got at the end of the clinic? This clinic was so good, my hair. I mean, someone, my hair grew back during the clinic. Yeah, yeah. Because we simply said, and here's the illustration, use this illustration to understand the importance of all three of these. If I were to come back from our lab tomorrow morning with a formula that I could rub on a bald head and you'd end up in 24 hours with thick, luxurious hair, would you agree that I would have a product that would be welcomed in the market and there would be high demand for it? I would. And so I would have the first of a key element for the value proposition. And many companies would think, we've nailed it, we've got it, we've done it. But you don't. You don't unless you have the second factor, exclusivity. Because if I had it, and there were 500 other places you could get it, then the force of my value proposition would be weakened by the multiplicity of options. But let's assume that I was the only place you could get it. And let's assume that it really worked. And let's assume that I wanted to start marketing it tomorrow. Here's my problem. Would you believe an ad that said, rub this on your head and your hair will grow in 24 hours, full, luxurious? Even if it worked, people would have a hard time believing it because there have been so many scams, so many problems. 
so many lies. I mean, um, they have got a spray can that you spray on your head and it turns it brown to cover the bald spots. I don't think it's particularly appealing visually. I understand it's not good in the rain. But anybody who's, anybody who's experienced it is not likely to rush out and buy my product. I would have to learn a way to speak with credibility. That's the point. It means it's essential that you understand that even if I'm analyzing financials and I'm in a hedge fund, when I want to know the force of your, your company's value proposition and thereby determine the, the true nature or potential of its future, I need to know all three things about it. Its appeal, its exclusivity, and its credibility. Now, we can put math to this and actually give you a scale. I can't teach that now. You need to get, take our certification course in landing page optimization and learn it. All I'm telling you is these three that come together are critical to understanding how to really write a value proposition that has power. Now, keeping it in mind, let's just touch those as fast as we can with some examples. So, not this. It says, earn your degree online. Interested in earning your degree online? Inquire now about Capella. Terrible. Why? Low appeal, no exclusivity, and absolutely no credibility. So what do you do? Look at the next, accredited online degrees. Students all ages, 18 to 75, established in 1902, over 11,000 classmates. Now look, there is some appeal there. There is a lot of exclusivity and there is credibility in the choice. Specificity converts. So the top example is what not to do. The bottom example is not perfect, but better and has more force. Let's learn again. Not this. Here is a simple uh, envelope fields uh, from a email. It's from sales and uh, sales at example.com and save on memory. By the way, this is a real uh, example from someone's email. Now look at the different. Well, let's just, let's just weigh it. How much appeal does it have? I don't know. I think we're being generous when we say it has two bars. Um, Austin, as I say, is Quakerish, and he's uh, no doubt being gentle and kind when he gives it two bars. Um, he's like he's like a religious Paula from American Idol uh, on our team. I would equate it uh, one bar, if anything. All right, and exclusivity. <laughs> Sorry, guys, they're all laughing at me. Pretty soon they'll be throwing things at me. A exclusivity. <laughs> I've got his mic. Exclusivity, uh, certainly one bar, if any. And uh, credibility, again, uh, one bar, if any. In this case, one bar really means zero. We don't have any way to go lower. That's how they score a bar out of us. So, not this, but this. Now it's from Bill Johnson. It's from Technical Support. Uh, it has a subject matter that includes several critical pieces. First of all, because it didn't come directly from sales, my guard isn't up instantly. Secondly, I, I have a problem. That's why it's being sent to me. They know who I am. I have a Dell Latitude D620. And by now, the memory will not be as, a, as, as robust as it should. So there's clear appeal. There's also credibility because you know enough information about me that this can't be a random piece of spam sent to... Uh, uh, 
give me one more obnoxious, obnoxious example of technology's power to disrupt my life. It has some exclusivity, and any way you look at it, it's a lot better than the top ad. Not this, but this. Now, I wish I could teach more. I could teach one hour on this point, perhaps four hours on this point, but we're going to move on because we have another step to cover. We're looking now in the fourth step, and that's where you start to test. In the fourth step, you begin testing your value proposition, utilizing your channels and your presentation. We, we saw that in the last example. We tested the channel. We also tested the, the kernel of the value prop, the channel and the kernel. We see it again on this slide. Here is the paid search example, and we're testing price, design, growth, saving, support, and simplicity in the design of the paid search ads. This is leading up to a brand new case study, the last one before we switch to live optimization, look at your own pages and try to help you. But before we do, I have some questions from the audience, all right? Do your test. Uh, here's, here's the first question. It says, do you test who is your ideal prospect? Well, here's the key about that, and that's a question from Conti. Uh, you can't win in every segment, and to be the best solution, you have to accept trade-offs. And trade-offs mean you can't serve every customer. If you're in the service business, and let's say you're in the first five years of your growth arc, you've probably made the common mistake of saying yes to every good business deal that came down, and you ended up distorting your value proposition and impeding your ability to deliver a quality product because you were trying to do more than you could do because you were trying to serve customers that weren't right for you. It's a common problem. If you've just gone through it or you're in it, A, wake up because you're on a death spiral. B, it's okay that you made the mistake because everybody has. But learn fast and move on. You've got to figure out who you're ideally suited to serve. And you may test that component. But I would also say, Conti, most of the time when I talk to the CEO or marketing team, they already have started to have a good idea of who they can help the most. And once you get into the either the e-commerce side or the service side, offering, you start to refine that understanding. And the more you refine it, the more you give up. You give up business. You give up chances. You give up opportunity. And yes, you give up revenue. But what you get instead is matchless excellence. And it's worth the sacrifice. That brings me to uh, one more question. How do you optimize for two different value propositions within the same page without losing focus? Susan, I love your question because I want to ask you a different question. Sometimes the best answer to a question is another question. Why are you trying to present two value propositions on the same page? Unless there's a gun to your head, you want to present only one per page, and there's a way to segment your audience so you're not trying to sell two different value propositions on the same page. No matter what answer I give you, I can't give you an answer that will help you convert at the level you could convert if you gave people one core message in the conversation. Do not try to have multiple conversations on the same page. If you do, you'll hurt your conversion rate. We can answer more later. I'm getting ready to look at a new case study. Uh, again, if you'll use the Q&A feature to talk to us, tell us if you're learning today, if this is helpful for you, and if so, um, uh, we want to know so that we can control our pace. Here comes experiment from Test Protocol 2067. 
This is a company that provides technology and product supply to the oil and gas industry. And um, the goal is to determine the most effective point of value. And uh, the question is, which value category will generate the most response? Just like you saw before. And so we're going to ask Dustin to fill us in uh, on uh, this. We have three slides of this that show you what we've been teaching in action. And then, boom, we're going to live optimization. Here you go. Dustin, tell us. All right. Thanks a lot, Flint. So the purpose of these emails was to drive to a dedicated uh, microsite about the uh, conference, also giving some more information um, about the different uh, technologies that are going to be presented there. So the goal of this email was specifically to talk about the different uh, technologies and products that the company was going to be uh, launching. So our question was, you know, what essentially what side of the uh, of the coin is is going to is going to attract the most of uh, you know from our from our channel? Uh, so we were working with a specific opt-in list that they had, um, you know, within their general opt-in list, and we had two uh, different emails. One uh, was all about overcoming challenges. Um, so we talked about specific uh, technology improvements and specific products that they had. Our, our second uh, email was all about results. So, you know, using a lot of uh, quantifiable um, uh, metrics, 10% uh, improvement on ROP, et cetera. Um, so not necessarily talking so much about the actual technology used, but focusing in on the results that uh, came from, from using those, those products and technologies. So the results, um, well, okay, you know, first I'll probably stop and say, you know, which one do you think probably won? The uh, results-focused email that used a lot of yes. quantifiable, uh, you know, focus. results, or the the first email that was all about the uh, individual technologies presented. Okay, audience, this is important. I want to see what you vote because I'm learning from your responses. Tell me, is it A or B? A or B? A is the first as he described, and B is, uh, of course, uh, 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 generating results. A is uh, overcoming challenges, correct? Mm -hmm. right. All right. So if it's A or B, use, use the Q&A feature. Or, again, you can use Twitter. Remember, it's a hashtag web clinic. And uh, we we're, we're really need your input there because uh, without it, we'll never, get, uh, we'll never get Adam and Dustin optimized. And so we're standing by for your feedback. Um, in the meantime, I see a lot of – let me go here. Okay, B, 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 A, A. Jerry says B, Brian says B, it's Brian King. Michael Wallace says B, Colleen says B, Chris says A, uh, Joe says B, um, and Don doesn't see a vote screen. <laughs> but Don, you're, vote, you're, you're writing your message on the vote screen. <laughs> uh, just right there, where you wrote that message, put A or put B. Uh, all right, and uh, here we go. I see Scott Price put ah. I'm not sure what that means, but I hope it was good for you. All right. And, uh, and Kathy says B. And, uh, and um, we have a petroleum engineer who says B. So obviously we have an authority. Uh, let's discover what the results were. Dustin, show us what happened. So actually, uh, I would say the majority of our audience was actually wrong. Uh, version A, uh, regarding overcoming challenges, uh, uh, performed 17% better than the than the uh, version B generating results. Um, 
so you know what we kind of learned from this is our audience um, you know uh, knows a specific uh, quantity of information about about the products they're interested in the products so you know just again it's it's a way to to better understand an individual channel or even a, a segment in in a specific channel which which this was and it's important to note that you can be uh, and I say this uh, because uh, there are many intelligent people online excellent marketers who didn't get the answer correct and guess what you can't get it correct every time that's why testing is so critical that's the whole point of this process even years of experience won't support you every time in terms of making the right decision yep. once you've learned this you have to go to the next step and push it into your copy push it into complete versions like your landing pages and test it again in that environment now you say well I don't have time to do this all Right. Listen, we have baked this into the process of product development and critical groups, and we're discovering it working over and over again. You'd be surprised how fast you can do such tests. The paid search results come back very fast. And depending on your traffic sample sizes, you can do this all uh, reasonably uh, in a reasonable period of time, and the extra prep time is so worth it in terms of the long-term results for your campaigns. When that's all done, you analyze the results and iterate into your best versions. All right, we've talked about it. We're coming up to part two, which is integrating the value proposition. So here is the principle coming up. But before I do, let's just talk about the significance of this second part of this presentation. Now, this will be much shorter than the first part, but it's not enough to discover the message. You've got to understand how to integrate it tightly into all that you're doing. For instance, we teach you in a landing page that you have seven seconds to answer three questions. Where am I at? Because of uh, transition orientation, a critical factor that impacts where people uh, get confused and use the back button to gain clarity. You don't want that. Question two, what can I do here? Because it doesn't matter when you tell them why until they know what. And we hit them with why often before they even clear what they're supposed to accomplish on the page. They have to see this within seven seconds. Which brings me to the third point. Why should I do it? Which is the short version of the value proposition. Once you identify that, every element of the page, including your graphics, either state or supports the value proposition. Keeping that in mind, we have a simple principle for you. And that is once the value proposition is identified, three elements should be used to express it on a web page. Proof points. You don't call them proof points because that puts people on the defense. But they're evidentials. And evidentials drive the message with just the right amount of specificity to create credibility. The next is supporting stories. Uh, if I've learned anything about brand in the last 25 years of research, is that most of us don't understand the power of story in shaping brand. Brand is an extension of who you are. It's an extension of your history. It's an extension of your story. Using the story of your company in a cute little timeline on the back of a page somewhere on a website that no one reads is a mistake. Unless your brand is already at the stature of a Coca-Cola, you need to use story. And by the way, they use story to get it there. In the old days, that was an important part of their branding. Story drives brand. And story is also the most important way to evidence your value proposition. There is a reason why you can do one thing in the marketplace better than everybody else and the reason is locked up in your story. It's also much more interesting to hear the story than to read your report. 
The third thing is illustrative samples and uh, images. Images can be powerful in expressing your value proposition, but we don't use them that way. Our, our, our images look like brochure fodder. We, 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 we grab smiling girls and throw them on the page and happy families, and they don't even connect to the message. We're supposed to somehow ascertain that the family is smiling because they got an insurance quote 20% lower than they had before, and that's why that baby has a big grin on its face. I'm sorry, but that same image space could have been used to illustrate with a chart the savings and would accomplish far more than the smiling family. We've got to learn how to use our images better. In fact, that may be a separate clinic, Austin, at some point. But let's continue. Here are proof points. Now, if that looks, by the way, that looks like some of the web pages we've evaluated. That is not a web page. That's a whole bunch of boxes lifted from other web pages where the proof points have been emphasized. I am looking at these, and at least three of them, now I think four of them, I four of them I recognize as being drawn from highly successful experiments in the past. These are the proof points we use to drive the conversion rate up. Supporting stories. Here's an example of background information, and uh, two different examples. And, of course, the faces have been blurred on purpose to protect the identity. But I, I recognize both of these, and in both of these we received substantial lifts. One of them on the right was for a nonprofit or organization that specialized in research for Alzheimer's. I think I can say that, uh, Austin. And, and we got far more power when we told the story of the 80-year-old founder who was struggling with Alzheimer's in his, in, 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 as a condition that his wife was facing. Wow, what a difference. Even the amount of the donations went up. Not just the number, but the amount. Story, 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 story. You cannot get away from it. And finally, here is an example of images that are actually doing something. They're heavy lifting. The one on the left helped us drive up results for Encyclopedia Britannica by over 115%. Normalized at 103%. What does the image do? It shows you get all those books online for less than the price of one volume. It's killer. Look at the graph. Look at the caption. Why don't we use captions anymore? Because we're too clever and sexy and sophisticated. The, the, if, the, if the graphic doesn't scream the message, then the caption needs to underscore it. Here it is. Free access to all 32 volumes with your free trial. Powerful messaging. And it had powerful results. All of these are examples from successful campaigns. The one on the left, I can tell you, bottom left, was NetSuite. Over a 200% increase in conversion across their paid search ad, uh, their landing page, and their application form. The form alone got a 97% increase in conversion. Get the image working. There you have it. That's a small, the world's shortest course in integrating your value proposition. So it's got to be tested, it's got to be identified, and then three elements used to drive it, emphasize it. Proof points, support stories, and illustrative images. I am now moving to live optimization. I have the first page in front of me, and I'm asking the audience. This was submitted by Robert. Uh, the goal of the page is to educate customers about Valcom and to generate leads. Audience, take a look at the page and tell me what the value proposition is. If you can tell me it in a perfect answer, write it in right now. Take the Q&A, because ten words or less, tell me the value prop. I'm watching. Let's see. No clue. No clue. Nothing. No idea. No idea. No clue. Unclear. 
full life cycle IT. No clue. We have experience. It's not evidence. I'm lost. Missing. Still reading it. Too complex. Help. <laughs> okay. Listen, uh, those examples underscore a problem. Robert, you have one of the largest focus groups you'll ever be able to generate, and it's composed of expert marketers who should be able to identify your value proposition sooner than anyone else. I'm going to turn this over to Adam, but I'd like to make one distinction. Adam's going to tell us how he'd fix this page just on the value prop side. You, the, the, and I may be getting ahead of you, but I just, I just want to point out two things. It says the value propositions. We've completed over 100 UC projects and are the experts they should come to. At the top, in the blue, it says over 100 Cisco IP telephony and convergence projects completed and counting. What you are seeing there is a wonderful statement. Valuable. Should be emphasized. I just would like to point out that we don't know the difference between a proof point and a value prop. It is not a value prop unless it implies the word only. So let me turn it over to Adam, unless I just messed Adam up. <laughs> Go ahead. So, so one thing I would argue would be, um, is 100 a big number? Uh, you know, that could be a small number to a company. So you definitely have to be careful when you're using numbers and percentages to make sure you understand what that particular number means to your audience. Somebody could come in here and say, only 100, and then all of a sudden they bounce right off the page. Uh, so uh, first things first. Yeah, I, I'm not sure by looking at the images, which is one of the three key ways to express your value proposition, whether you're selling honeycombs or you're selling uh, 1980s cell phones and uh, computer monitors. Uh, there's just a, a bunch of images that really don't say anything about your value proposition. Uh, secondly, one of the biggest fonts on any page, you know, it's your H1 title, is, is that headline. It's the first thing people see. It should be bold. It should be the largest things uh, on the page. Uh, and in this particular case, it says welcome. Well, anybody can say welcome, so it definitely does not have that exclusivity factor. Uh, so you need to utilize that space to really communicate what your core value is. Excellent. Excellent. There's more that we could say. And, Robert, we don't say this to be harsh or to be cruel. I mean, Adam might be harsh and cruel, but I, I not me. Um, it's just that in the very short period of time, we want to be as, as frank as possible to help you get a result. And frankly uh, speaking, it's not just your own site, but it's a transferable principle that helps many people. Because I would, I would venture to say, Robert, that almost all of our audience could improve the expression of their value proposition on their website. Somebody tweeted us a value proposition that gets closer to, uh, closer to the target. It says, protect your piping system with the most diverse assortment of expansion joints manufactured under one roof. Now, I'm going to, this is live op two, and I, I, and you're not looking at a web page, but listen, this was just submitted. How do we fix it? How good is it? Well, first of all, it has an only factor. It says the most. The only factor, you know, remember, if I'm the ideal customer, why should I purchase from you rather than any of your competitors? The answer has to have an only factor. You can match your competitor in every area, but you've got to excel them in at least one. Or you don't have an only factor. Unless you can answer that question, you're surviving on pockets of ignorance. You should get a new business. Quit marketing and start getting your product right. Because if there's a better solution, in the name of decency, the audience ought to be using it instead of yours. Instead, 
dig down, find out what you can do for a certain part of the audience better than anyone else. Now, let's take this group. There's an only factor. So do we have exclusivity? Yes. Do we have appeal? All right, I'd say some. Do we have credibility? No. This is what's costing your force. Because you say the most diverse assortment of expansion joints. Everybody can say that. Everybody does say that, even when it's not true. They tell me they're the leading. What does leading mean? I don't know what it means. It's nefarious. It means I want to be number one. I'm not number one. But if I say leading, you might think I'm number one. They say fastest. But how can you be the fastest if there's four others saying fastest? Maybe you are, but I can't tell the difference until I've used your product, and I'm not going to buy it first to figure that out. So what do you do? Tell me that you have over 114,000 parts, the largest assortment under any one roof, and you know that for the last 22 years you've been stocking and supplying until now you have 114,000. Give me specificity. Do not use vague modifiers. Use quantitative descriptors. And in the process, your statement will become even more credible. This is the beginning of a real value prop. With a little bit of work, we can, we can write something that will have a stellar impact on your marketing. All right, I have time for one more. Let's go to another page. Here we go. Live optimization. Uh, this is called schooloutfitters.com. Dustin's going to help us with it. And uh, audience, while Dustin's talking, since we don't have a lot of time, give us your feedback, too, and just listen to Dustin. And then if he says something smart, you can write it down with your name beside it and, we'll, and, and claim it. <laughs> He's just reading your feedback anyway. <laughs> it's true. Um, All right. So since this is a product page, I can only assume that, you know, they're obviously interested in wall mount marker boards, uh, dry erase boards, et cetera. Um, so just to kind of, um, you know, reemphasize any kind of value messaging that may have come from the home page, um, you know, I would say, are these prices necessarily any good? Um, the value prop listed, you know, variety of bulletin boards at competitive prices. If it's truly a competitive price, if it's truly less than, you know, MSRP, show me the MSRP, slash it out, and write your, you know, sale price underneath it. Um, or, you know, tell me it's 15% less than, um, you know, a competitor. Um, also, you know, why exactly, you know, should I buy wall mount marker boards from your company? Um, you know, have product-specific uh, uh, value propositions. There. Dustin, can I jump in there? Absolutely. What he's saying is so important. There's no messaging at all on the page. They're just products. There's no conversation on the page. I need to know, and you need to use uh, real specific wording that helps me see and understand that there's something distinctive about this offering that, uh, that justifies me giving you my full attention and purchasing from you. All right. One final point. Uh, we've talked about value proposition. There's really two value propositions to focus on. It's your company value proposition, and then there's a product. And one thing I would recommend for that page is help me make a buying decision. You have like 15 products. Communicate the value of each one of those products so I can really decide which one's for me. <laughs> All right. I'm, I'm, I'm giggling because, because the, the uh, marketing director of Marketing Sherpa is in the room. And, uh, and we try to keep him away as much as possible, but sometimes he sneaks in. And during, my, uh, during Adam's uh, uh, last uh, soliloquy, he held up a sign, handwritten with red letters on it, that says, Sell Tickets. We, we don't sell on these things normally, but of course, uh, Todd is ruthless, and, uh, and, uh, and 
But listen, we are holding this summit, and if you'd like to meet the team members, the analysts, the scientists, if you'd like to interact with marketers who themselves are involved in optimization projects, if you'd like to participate in real-time experiments that we're going to be conducting on the scene, if you'd like to find out what we've learned from 10,000 landing page tests and, and really get involved in, the, in a rigorous science-based approach to optimization, consider coming to Atlanta and joining us uh, there. Uh, we'd love to, to interact with you, to, uh, to get face-to-face. We found from other Marketing Sherpa Summits that we learned so much from our audience about what they need, what they want, and we're able uh, to help them. So this is, a, this is a summit with Marketing Sherpa and Marketing Experiments combined. Both of these are research groups within our family, and we're going to do everything we can to help you learn how to optimize the results in your sales and marketing funnels. And we'd love to have you attend, and if you do so soon, apparently there's a big discount. I guess that's urgency, right, Todd? All right, and then what, what did you just hold up? He holds up two more signs. It says less than... <laughs> he, uh, you need to know this before you go. He, he held up a sign in the back. I didn't know what it meant. It said less than 10, you're a pansy. Meaning if, 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 if I didn't sell 10 tickets at the end of this, I'm a pansy. He couldn't even articulate the sentence in a complete thought. And he wants me to sell for him. No wonder they're coming to us. He's desperate. I wouldn't even attend if I were you. It's going to be a lame summit. We'll probably have 20 people there. All right. <laughs> Thank you, Todd. Listen, well, we would love to see you. We appreciate you attending. We're going to be, coming, we're going to be back in uh, probably about two more weeks with the latest findings and discoveries from all of our experimentation. These events like this, these clinics are free. Please tell a friend, and uh, we will be most grateful. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this recording of a Marketing Experiments live web clinic. You can sign up to receive invites to future live web clinics, as well as receive access to $10 million worth of Internet marketing research at marketingexperiments.com. Thank you.